let's see, I'm going to do things a little differently today. Since it's different by default, why not just lean into the different and uh, embrace it and enjoy it? So I've got you guys pulled up here on my stream, and uh, I can see you all, all on here. Lots of people online today interacting. Praise God, that's awesome. Um, just a, a couple things really quick before we get into the Word. Obviously, our picnic was canceled. We're working on rescheduling and figuring all that kind of stuff out. And uh, uh, today, if it's your first time joining us, this is, again, not our normal. Normally, we're going to be here in this building together. And next week, August 29th, we will regather in this building, but we just felt it was necessary to err on the side of caution and use wisdom uh, to make sure that we're not spreading and passing uh, COVID on in our worship. And so um, thank you all for accommodating this this week and worshiping together online. Next week, we will kick off the book of Ephesians. So if you haven't really got into Ephesians, and even if you have, it's a great week to read through the book, six chapters. Um, and so we'll be in it for, I believe, around nine or ten weeks. And so it's a great time to start familiarizing yourself with the book of Ephesians for next week. Um, having said that, let's get into the Word of God. Man, I'm loving seeing all you guys interacting on here today. And so what I want to do is there'll be even a few times that I might uh, engage with you guys online and uh, get some feedback from you, get some interaction. Today, I'm going to preach what we were going to preach at the picnic, uh, which is, it was, it's our WOG family picnic. And so we were going to walk through our WOG family values. These are the values that you see as soon as you walk in the front door of our building. We've got right there, we keep Jesus at the center because Christ alone is the hope of the world. And then as you walk to the left or the right, you see all, the, all seven of our values. And those values are really what help us um, stay on task for who we believe God has called us to be, how he has wired us as a church family, things that we're passionate about that we want to make clear stances of conviction on. So today, we're going to walk through those core values and uh, we've got seven of them, and I'm kind of going to go from, from seven to one today. So uh, keep your Bibles handy, and today we're going to look at the very first or seventh one, actually, and that is we say yes to the greater things. And what does that mean? If you read the, the subheading of that value, that we say yes to the greater things, that subtitle, so to speak, is because we are called to live in light of eternity, that we want to say yes to eternal things and recognizing that, again, God put us here for a purpose and for a reason and that there are things that he wants us to do and accomplish for his kingdom in this earth. And so by default, if we're going to use our time for God's purposes, if we're going to use, this is really what we've been talking about for the last six weeks in our missional moment series is recognizing we're here for a time and God has placed all of us in our context, gifted all of us with specific gifts and abilities and talents, given all of us uh, time, given all of us uh, varied resources and relationships, and therefore knowing there's a day coming that we will give an account before God for what we do with our lives, and we want to invest our time. We want to invest our relationships. We want to invest our, our resources into the kingdom of God, remembering where Jesus said, man, the harvest is white, meaning the harvest is plentiful, but the labors 
are few. There are few people laboring in the fields. And so let's take that commission to live in light of eternity, where if we have things in our life that are temporal and temporary, and we have things in our life that are eternal, that we need to try and strive by the grace of God to give more time to eternal things, more time to loving and serving others, more time to reaching the lost, more time to reaching the nations, more time to evangelizing and sharing the gospel with those who might not know Jesus, more time being hospitable with our homes, um, recognizing God gave us our homes, and that's a great opportunity to build relationships with people and share the gospel with them. You know, saying yes to greater things requires saying no to some lesser things. Doesn't necessarily only mean saying no to evil things, because of course we want to say no to evil things. But there are things in our life that might not be evil, but they're lesser. And we want to say yes to the greater things, eternal things. And there's a value, again, uh, uh, a quote, so to speak, that I heard a pastor say one time. I can't even remember who the pastor was that said this, but I'm not taking credit for it. Uh, But ultimately someone said, um, we say no to things that we love so that we can say yes to things that we love even more. I want to say no to things that I love so I can say yes to the things that I love more. And so that's really, in my mind, a great paradigm where we can go, man, if I'm going to say yes and make more room in my life, in my time, and in my budget for the kingdom of God and the things of God, then that means saying no to some other things. It doesn't mean that they're bad things. It just means they're lesser than the greater things. Lesser than time with Jesus, lesser than. So here's what I want you to do. If you're online right now, uh, you know, there's probably a professional term for it, but those symbols on your keyboard, the greater than and less than, I want you right now to think about what is something on your heart that you've realized Jesus is greater than, and then put Jesus greater than whatever it might be. And this might be something that the Lord's put on your heart lately that you've realized is something good, something that you love or something you enjoy, but maybe you've realized that Jesus is greater than this, and therefore I need to spend less time on that and more time on this. And so um, one thing the Lord's been putting on my heart, Jesus is greater than golf. And so I'm still going to play golf, but less and give less time thinking about it, less time YouTube and golf swing fixes. I've already talked about that. But also um, for me, Jesus is greater than uh, social media. And so it's funny, I'm on Facebook right now, and you guys are all on Facebook. I personally just hopped off of Facebook, um, and so I needed to make more time in my life for greater things. And so uh, let's look at Philippians chapter 3. I know we just went through Philippians a few weeks ago, uh, but in light of saying yes to greater things, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, Paul specifically right here in context is talking about all the things that he used to think were important for trying to make it into the kingdom of heaven. But I think this is principally true, principally true in all, in all areas that Jesus Christ and knowing him is 
not only more important than the other things that we would try to use to make ourselves right with God and be accepted by Him, we're accepted by faith in Christ, but also any other thing in our lives, you have to recognize Paul also was letting go of his relationships and his entire circle of friends and even family to follow Jesus meant losing all of that for him. There are people today in Afghanistan who are uh, worried about whether or not they're going to be beheaded for their faith in Christ. And there are pastors and churches that, uh, given what's going on in Afghanistan right now, that had written notes from the Taliban uh, dropped at their homes that said, we know where you are and we know what you're doing. And uh, I know another um, pastor here in the States that was corresponding back and forth with one of those pastors and saying, hey, what are you guys going to do? And the pastor said, we will stay and we will worship and we will likely die. And that really puts in perspective our own lives, our own things that we think matter so much. Uh, These are guys who are having church in their homes and have made it known to them that if they keep on, they're going to lose their lives. And there's a lot of that going on right now. So we should be praying. (laughs) Please, 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 please be praying, of course, for everything that's going on in Afghanistan, but especially be praying for believers in Afghanistan. Pray that God would protect them, lead them, guide them, and that God would also use them to bring more souls into the kingdom of God. So we say yes to the greater things. Um, Next, one of our core values is we are people first. We are people first. And this essentially means we want to put people first. And if you look at the subheading there, it means uh, we put under there because we want people to know that they're valued by God. And so we want to put people first because God loves people. And we want to be about people more than we want to be about uh, rules or, or regulations. And Scripture has commands for us, of course, and, but, but when it comes down to what does the Christian life look like, it looks more like a heart that's been transformed by the grace of God, by the goodness of Jesus Christ, to where we want to love, serve, and care for others. Being forgiven of our sins and being welcomed and embraced and loved by God ought to create that same fruit in our, in our hearts to where we welcome, love, and accept others, to where we serve others the same way that Jesus wrapped that towel around his waist and washed his disciples' feet, the same way that he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And so... Um, We want to make sure that we do everything we can as a church family. One, to our church family, and then two, also to others who are not even in our church family, to make them know that they are valued by God. And we can do this two ways. Again, we talked about this in our Missional Moment series, but by showing God's love and by sharing God's truth. How can we show others that they're valuable to God? Well, by showing with our time, our resources, our connections, our whatever we might have, that, that they are valuable to God. As I want to look here online for a second, if you have a way that someone in our church family has made you feel valuable or has shown value to you, 
I, I would love it if you would just comment that in the thread and encourage everybody and inspire everybody and challenge everybody with ways that people in our church family have served you and made you feel valued. As I look back and see some of these greater thans, let's see what's going on. Jesus is greater than politics. Amen, somebody. Jesus is greater than everything. That's right, Jocelyn, just preach. We'll just take that and let that be the rest of the sermon today. Jesus is greater than everything. Um, Jesus, again, greater than politics. Jesus is greater than my wants. That's great. Amen. Jesus is greater than being stuck at home. Amen. Uh, Jesus is greater than fear. Jesus is greater than whatever I face. This is awesome. Jesus is greater than my sin. Amen, Bill. So good. So we're going to keep on moving. We are people first. Listen, we are in the business of people. We are called to reach people. We are commanded by God to love one another, which means we love people. And so this means we have to be willing to be inconvenienced. Uh, this means we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. We have to be willing to consider others more significant than ourselves. I'm just going to go back into the book of Philippians again. You're going to think I'm a one-trick pony. Uh, I'm not. We've got all the scripture, but if, if it's relevant, it's relevant. So Philippians 2 verses 3 through 5 says this, as we think about people first, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And so think about that. How can you look to the interests of others rather than the interest of yourself? And again, if you're online, comment today some ways that others have done this for you, checking on you, uh, whatever that might be. One said Jamie Hubbard checking in on how things are going for me. That's awesome. Uh, serving members helped me connect to people as a new person. Praise God. That's awesome. Uh, so uh, someone said when Steve and I were sick, the Dirksies went out of their way to drop food off at our house. I felt their love. Awesome. That's what we're talking about. Putting people first, making people feel loved and valued by God. And in that, loving and valuing them, preferring them before ourselves, inconveniencing ourselves, getting ourselves uncomfortable for the good of others. Next, we'll go to we are contributors, not consumers. We are contributors, not consumers. And the subheading there is because we recognize what we have been given isn't just for us. You've heard us talk about the family table. You've heard us talk about how there's a difference between the restaurant table and the family table. At the restaurant table, you're paying for goods and services, and so you have a right, so to speak, to expect certain levels of quality with your service and the goods, the food that you would be receiving. Yet at the home family table, sure, of course, you, you would love great food and you'll probably get that good food. Uh, but at the same time, if it's burnt or whatever it might be, you don't go, I'm never coming back here like you might at a restaurant. Why? Because you're not there because of the goods and services. You're there because of the family. And so whatever offense there might be or whatever thing might not be up to par, you give grace. And you make room for humanity. You make room for mistakes or wounds, or you make room for forgiveness. Why? Because you recognize the people around the table are more important than the product on the table. And so uh, that's where we want to be willing to not just sit back and watch, but if you're a part of the family, you contribute. And so some of you 
uh, watching today might have been attending for a while, might have been being fed by the Word of God and encouraged by the worship service, I want to encourage you to pray and evaluate Have you come to a place where the Lord has made it clear to you that this is your church family that he's leading you to join? And if so, how can you get involved? How can you be a part? Because we want to be contributors, not just consumers. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, the book of Acts chapter 4, giving accounts of the spreading of the early church, the spreading of the gospel after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And this is right after um, the apostles had been dealing with, um, we'll say, trouble from the religious leaders of the day who were anti-Jesus, and they were trying to tell him, don't preach in Jesus' name. This is after they told the crippled man, you know, we don't have silver and gold, but what we do have we'll give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk, and a miracle was done. This guy got up, and everybody saw it and was like, we've seen this dude crippled forever, and now he's walking. What's going on? And the religious people were mad, and they're like, you got to stop telling people about Jesus. And Peter's like, Listen, whether or not we obey you or God, what do you think we should do? And so he's confronting these religious leaders, and the Holy Spirit fills him and gives him boldness, and he gives great declarations of uh, the gospel, and thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. See this? doesn't say the apostles said, hey guys, sell your stuff or give your stuff. But they recognized of themselves that there was this realization when someone comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ and, and the Holy Spirit comes in and changes your heart. There's a lot of fruit that comes out from that change. We see it in the life of these believers. They recognized, they realized in their hearts, and everything I've got, everything that's been given to me is not my own. It's actually God's. And so when we look at our life and look at what God has given us, our home, our possessions, our time, our skills, again, When we look at everything that God's given us, recognizing it's not our own. It says again in verses 32 through 35, we'll keep reading. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They recognized it wasn't their own, but they had everything in common. That means they shared it. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, we can see throughout church history, this wasn't like a a biblical mandated standard where if you follow Jesus, you got to sell your home and your land. But what we do see, because there are other believers in the New Testament that had homes, they kept meeting in homes. But what we do see is people who recognize probably to an extent that they had more than they needed. And therefore they sold or collected what they had to distribute to make sure that no one had need anymore. Just this last week, um, there was someone in our church family that uh, I had something come to my awareness of a need that they had. And, excuse me. 
and the Lord put it on mine and Katie's heart to give something that we had to this family because we had something and it was something nice and we loved it and we enjoyed it. Uh, but there was a family in our church who had need of that type of thing. And, uh, and we liked it, but we didn't need it. And this church family needed it. And so the Lord put it in our heart. And this is not to brag on myself, but this is just to give example. And, and even as I kind of wrestled with, because I liked it as, as a nice thing, I kind of wrestled with it after I, the Lord put it on my heart, talked to my wife about it. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. And I, I communicated with this individual and said, hey, the Lord put it on our heart to give you guys this, to be a blessing to you. Even afterwards, I was like, oh, man, I'm kind of wrestling with it because it, it was a nice thing. And, but at the same time, this scripture came to my memory, re- reminding me, man, what I have is not my own. I recognize what I have is not my own. And so this item, this thing, this possession, it's the Lord's. And if I only use it from time to time and I don't really need it, and there's someone else who has a need, then maybe I should let go of it for the glory of God and for the good of our church family and the good of others. And so we are contributors, not consumers, recognizing that what we've been given is not just for us. Next, we would do what would be number four. We do life together. We do life together because we are better together. Listen, if 2020 taught us anything, (laughs) taught us lots of things, and we're still learning. Obviously, lots going on right now. But one thing that was a major lesson of 2020 is the fact that we need each other. It's foolish to think that we can do this life alone, even not trying to be a Christian, but especially in a world that has antichrist spirit in it, that has a culture and a society that is working against um, what we value, that is constantly defaming and belittling and accusing uh, the God that we love and us by relation. If we're going to stand fast in our faith, if we're going to be strong when we are weak, of course, by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit within us, but also by the loving support of our one another's our church family. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the 59 one another commands of scripture. There's over a hundred in the New Testament, but 59 are explicit commands to love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. Um, So many that you cannot look at all the New Testament. You cannot look at the church in scripture and go, yeah, I can do this alone. No, you're deceiving yourself if you think you can. So, Make sure you're availing yourself to the body of Christ. Make sure that you are um, not only making yourself available to relationships, but pursuing Christ-centered relationships. Relationships that are going to encourage you, strengthen you, hold you accountable, check on you, ask you how you're doing. Uh, We need each other. Notice this. Let's jump back a couple chapters. Acts chapter 2. We're going to read something that sounds a whole lot like what we just read. Acts chapter 2, this is right after the Apostle Peter stands up in front of a massive crowd and preaches the gospel, and thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through uh, 47 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves to the word of God and the teaching 
and to the fellowship. So they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is, they were devoted to, not just made room for, devoted. That's a key word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to prayer and to the breaking of bread. So this is not some, let's see if we have time for it. This is a, we're going to make time for this. Again, when, when they received the gospel, this is something that by rollout of that, they recognized, let's be devoted to this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It's like what we just read in chapter 4. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Listen, if we're devoted to one another, it looks like looking at our lives to go, what do I have that others need that maybe I don't need? And it looks like prioritizing, fellowshipping together, getting together, being together, praying together, having fun together, hanging out together, recognizing that these relationships are vital if we're going to have a healthy and strong relationship with the Lord. And day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes you know, this last week I had the honor and privilege of Vivek, who was up here a few weeks ago, who has a ministry in India. You know, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's every day of the week, seven days of the week, or if it's Monday through Friday. I can't remember. Forgive me there. But I know it's at least, I want to say five days a week. But every day they get together, what's evening there and morning here, and they open the Bible, they worship together, and they pray together and they read the Bible. And so last week I got to join in on their Zoom meeting and I got to share the word of God with them from Philippians. And uh, what a beautiful, awesome thing that these families, uh, there was grandparents, there were parents, there were kids in one room and all these screens. It was like 30 families, 30 different homes that daily are opening the word of God together. That's what they're prioritizing. And I think that's beautiful. I think it's incredible. So we do life together because we are better together. Next, we're talking about we prioritize prayer. Because when we pray, or because we believe when we pray, we deepen our dependence on God. Listen, I'm just going to be honest. This is a value that I think we aspire to be true more than it is true of us. I think it's something that's easy to biblically say it's important. But I believe God's calling our church family to prioritize prayer more than we have been. I know on Monday morning we have live stream prayer every mor Monday morning at 9 a.m. And then Wednesday night at 8 o'clock, there's a group that comes here to pray every Wednesday night. If you're able to come here 
9 a.m. on Monday mornings or here on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m., please do. If you have friends or a community group or a relationship within the church that you're like, you know what, guys, let's get together and pray. Look at everything going on in the world. We should be praying and look at the people who are suffering. Look at all those who don't know the Lord. If we as a church, Word of Grace, our local church, if we're going to be successful according to what God calls success, if we're going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're going to have a family that gives true glory and honor to God, it will only be because we are a people of prayer. I'm not talking about just bedtime prayer and meal prayer, but people who pray without ceasing. We can see from Ephesians 6, we read this one a couple weeks ago, where Paul said, pray at all times. We can see from 1 Thessalonians 5.17, says, pray without ceasing. We can see in Matthew 18 and 1, Jesus tells this parable that is to the effect that we ought to always pray and not lose heart. We can see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes before he's betrayed and before he goes to be crucified with his disciples, he's praying and he says, pray, stay awake and pray lest you fall into temptation. He says, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If we're going to be successful as individuals in our relationship with the Lord, it will only be because we have a life of prayer where we're feeding our spirit and relating to the Lord, putting our needs before him and delighting in him and talking to him. If we're going to be successful as a church family in the work that God wants for us to do in our community, in our state, in our nation, in the world abroad, it will only be because we are praying first, praying before we act, praying before we preach, praying before we meet, praying while we meet, praying while we're out and about, praying together, texting each other, praying, calling each other, praying, meeting and praying, emailing, praying, 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 praying. I believe God's heart is that we would truly, truly become a people who pray for everything, praying at all times, praying without ceasing. I love on Monday mornings when we have our live stream prayer to see people get on here on the live stream and type out their prayers. And I want us to be a people who don't say, I'll be praying for you. I'd love it if we could be a people who say, let me stop and pray for you right now. I did that yesterday at a wedding. And I encourage you to do it anytime you have opportunity. Find someone who's in need or going through something or something's on their heart and mind. Instead of saying, oh, I'll be praying for you. What would God do if we say, you know what, can I pray for you right now? And have that boldness and that confidence to do so wherever we might be. But let's be a people of prayer. Next to last, this is what I'm really passionate about. We are willing to give up what we believe for the truth. We are willing to give up what we believe for the truth because Scripture defines truth, not our ideas. We live in a day and age where truth, according to society and culture, is becoming more and more subjective or relative. Your truth, my truth. Truth is truth, guys. I know that's not a popular thing to say today, but it's... <laughs> true. And if we have to add adjectives to truth, like your truth, my truth, it no longer becomes truth. It becomes subjectified. It becomes relative. It becomes tweaked and changed. Truth doesn't need context. Truth is truth. 
And as believers, our heart, our, our heart, our priority ought to be to get to the truth. Jesus himself said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the truth. Oh, our eyes being open to the truth that brings us to freedom in Christ. It is knowing the truth about God that empowers us to love and serve and follow and worship him. Let's look at um, Acts 2, 42. I don't think that's right, is it? Nope. I put the wrong verse in my notes. Whoopsie. All of that to say, we need to be willing to give up what we believe for the truth. And I think I was going to go to the passage there in John where Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen, we have to recognize every single one of us has perceptions and opinions and ideas about God, about this world. We have a worldview about politics, about, um, uh, about social issues, about um, pol- uh, economic issues, about relational issues, work issues, family issues, that we all have had these things form our view of Scripture and our view of God. And what we need to be willing to do I remember, and I tell this story often, but I remember when I was in Bible school, one of my best friends and fellow students came up to me with a really difficult passage of Scripture that's not very palatable, that makes you wrestle and struggle. And he said, uh, he said Stephen, what, uh, he said, how does this passage line up with what we believe? And man, I, I read it and I struggled and I was like, oof, what is going on? I, I don't... I don't know how this works with what we believe. This is tough. Hindsight, I realized that was the wrong question. The question is not how does the Bible line up with what we believe, right? The question is how does what we believe line up with the Bible? And when we read Scripture, we shouldn't read it going, now how can I make this make sense with what I believe? We should be going, is my belief right or wrong? I need to let the Word of God confront me and challenge me and not try to manipulate it and twist it and take scriptures out of context, but, but be faithful to the Word of God to always try to divide it rightly and to handle the Word of God seeking to know the truth. Um, because trying to worship our own picture and our own idea of God that doesn't come from scripture is like trying to marry someone because of who you want them to be rather than who they truly are. And I've used this illustration I've heard before of what if I got home one day from work and was like, honey, I just love you so much. I love your brown hair and I love your brown eyes and I love how you, uh, you know, I love how you play the piano when I get home and sing. Well, none of those things are true of my wife. She's a blonde and she has green eyes and she doesn't play the piano. And I could have such a deep love in these ideas of who I could hope for in those things. Those are not things I'm hoping for in my wife. I love who she is. But it'd be foolish. My wife would be like, who are you talking about? Who are you talking to? And I think sometimes we bring our preconceived ideas to God and try and, for, uh, uh, try and uh, cast them on him rather than saying, God, who are you? And let the word of God confront what we believe. And we have to go, the ultimate question is, is the word of God true? Is it authoritative? And we could have entire sermon series on that. I simply believe the answer is yes. And therefore... When I'm in Scripture, I need to be going, what is Scripture telling me about God, about me, about this world, about the way that I'm to live? And be willing, if Scripture shows me that I'm wrong, be willing to humble myself and go, you know what? 
God's smarter than Stephen Maris. And so I need to subject myself to him and his word and what he has declared. Let's go to famous verse here, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, essentially tells us that all scripture is given by God. If I can find it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says this. Oh, that's 2.16. Here we go. Chapter 3. We're on our A game today. 3.16. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, so learning, profitable for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. All scripture, the entire word, toda scriptura, Genesis to Revelation, is inspired by God meaning God motivated the writer's thoughts and intentions and words as they wrote Scripture. It's all inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So let's be willing to give up what we believe for the truth. And finally, this is the one that when you come into our church, it's on the center wall. Big, middle, First core value, we keep Jesus at the center. We keep Jesus at the center. Why? Because Christ alone is the hope of the world. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae. This is a church who is battling uh, Gnosticism, a church who is dealing with a lot of different ideas about God and um, in a city where there was a lot of different pagan god worship. And so Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, just gives this beautiful picture of the preeminent Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and verse 15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. See, we want to put Jesus first because Scripture teaches he was first and he is first. Revelation, if you go to Revelation chapter 1, it tells us that he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Colossians right here tells us that he was in the beginning, that God created everything through him and for him and to him. All things exist for his glory. If we go to Hebrews chapter 1, it's going to echo these same things that God spoke in the previous days through his prophets and through angels and has now spoken through his son, who is who God created all things through and is currently upholding all things by the word of his power, he is preeminent, meaning nothing higher, nothing greater, nothing before, nothing after. Alpha, Omega, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, above every name. 
We keep Jesus first because he is preeminent, because he is God in the flesh. So we keep him first, one, because of who he is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we keep him first. We keep him at the center. Not only that, but as we kept reading in Colossians there, we we read verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. We keep him at the center because the gospel is the message. We keep him at the center because it is the gospel, the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross that saved us, that keeps us saved, and will yet save us. That we're in this life stuck between the already and the not yet. That we have already been saved by the grace of God and we have not yet been saved or perfected yet. We are saved, but we will yet be saved. We are being saved. And this is where when we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified that moment that we have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of our sins and and confess him as Lord. And then we are being sanctified for the rest of our lives. We're justified in in a moment, made right before God. The rest of our lives, we're being sanctified that this gospel work of Jesus Christ continues to work in us but then also we will yet be saved. That is glorified. We are justified in an instant, sanctified throughout the rest of our lives. And at the end of our lives, we will be glorified where we go up to be with Christ, whether at his second coming first or at our death, whichever comes first, the believer is glorified to go up with Jesus Christ. So we keep Jesus at the center because the gospel is central. It is priority. It is important. There are many areas and issues in Christianity that are secondary or tertiary that are ripples from the primary issue of the gospel. And there are things on the side that we could debate and discuss and have interesting conversation about that are important, but nothing's more important than the gospel. Believing the truth about Jesus Christ, recognizing that he is all Like we already read from Philippians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul said, all those things I once thought were so important, I count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ because of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ and knowing him. See, the call to put Jesus first is to say amen to all that the Bible teaches us about Jesus, about his preeminence, nothing higher, nothing greater, about his immutability, which means the fact that he never changes. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, it says in Hebrews 13. About his ultimatum that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. It's an invitation to enjoy the infinite God. To enjoy him forever. The Westminster Catechism said it so beautifully that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why we live. And so, Jesus in the center, what does that look like? It means we're not, again, going, where does Jesus fit into my schedule? It is, Jesus is being prioritized in my schedule. It's not, where does Jesus fit in my budget? Jesus is being prioritized in my budget. It's not work and Jesus. It's my work through Jesus unto the glory 
of Jesus. It's not parenting and Jesus. It's parenting through Jesus, with Jesus, to the glory of Jesus. It is all areas of our life being changed and molded and shifted by Jesus Christ being the center of our lives. Because when he is, it affects every single area of our lives. It affects the way that we participate in hobbies. It affects the way that we relate to our friends and family. It affects the way that we work. It affects the way that we attend church. It affects the way that we serve. It affects the way that we give. It affects all things when Jesus is central and first in our lives. We will keep preaching Christ and him crucified because he is the hope of the world. Look at this world right now. Needs hope. What is the hope? Is it in politics? Is it in government? I don't think so. Is our hope in the economy and stocks and in bonds and funds and retirements and check accounts? And I don't think so. If your hope is there, it will falter. Last year, a lot of that faltered. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world because he transcends this world. This world's temporary. It's fleeting. Jesus is eternal. He is the answer to a broken humanity. He is the glory and the lifter of our heads. He is the redeemer of the sinner. He is the savior of mankind. He is, he was, and he will forever be king of kings and Lord of lords, and therefore we lay our lives down before him to say, amen. So be it. You are king. You are Lord. You are preeminent. You are first. And let my life say, amen. Not just my words. Those are church family values. And let that be something that can be true of us. These are things that We've wrestled with Scripture to say these are things that we clearly see, that we want to hold, that these are things we want to be identifiably true as to who we are and how we live and how we serve and how we love, that we keep Christ at the center, living in light of eternity for the good of others and for the glory of God. God, we pray today for everyone watching. We pray that you would become the center of all of our lives for those of us who have not had you at the center or those of, you, of us who have let you drift out of the center, that you would come back to the center, that you would be first <clears throat> in our lives, that you would flood and infiltrate every area of our lives that every other area of our life would look like overflow or aftermath of what it means to know Jesus and to love Jesus, that we will look differently if we're putting you first. God, I pray that you would let these things be true of us, these values that we hold. And I pray that those that are, these values that we're weak in, that we would strengthen that we would love and serve one another and that we would be a people of prayer, prayer first, praying first, praying always, praying at every opportunity. God, I ask that you would strengthen our church family together, bond us together with the unity of love for your name's sake, for the glory of your name and for the work of your kingdom, God. Let us be about your business. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, this has been a different type of morning, and I've enjoyed it. I hope you guys have as well, and look forward to being back in this building with you all a week from today on Sunday, August 29th. We're going to start the book of Ephesians together. We're going to go through the book of Ephesians chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's going to be good. So go ahead and start reading Ephesians now. Please be praying for those who have COVID. Please be praying for Afghanistan. And please be praying for Haiti as well as they are recovering from another earthquake and natural disasters. Be praying that the kingdom of God would advance at every opportunity. We love you guys. We will see you next week. God bless you.